Welcome to Sing Those Kobe Blues. We're back after an extended hiatus because the the hot stove is not hot. It's cold. <laughs> it's freezing. Nothing's happening. The last the the only things the Cubs have done have we've made a few minor league signings. Um the last major league transaction was Steve Ciszek, which was all the way back at the winter meetings. And a lot of major league baseball teams have similar scenarios going on right now. So it's been uh, a lot of waiting, a lot of kind of half-baked rumors uh i mean really at this point it's been it's been you know writers being able to get something out there a report where they're hearing from their sources that this is a th- you know just like with Garrett Cole the other day right he was going to be traded and then everyone had to mm-hmm. pull it back almost immediately cuz it wasn't happening imminently so clearly what's happening here is that i don't know you know, even in that case, like, it, th- the people saying that it was imminent were not wrong. It sounded like the trade talks were intensifying, and then the Pirates held to a hard line. I mean, that's fine. It just, you know, there's nothing happening. And what I want to start out by saying in this is that we we talked about this. We called it. We said it was going to be slow, and these players were not going to get the kind of deals that we were seeing projected. Uh, that was maybe the first thing we said back in the prediction on the off-season podcast with Greg. Um, we said it's going to be slow. We think you know JD Martinez getting 200 million that doesn't seem likely. You Darvish 160 million man that seems a little like a stretch. You know Jake Arrieta 200 million that seems like a stretch. That was what we said. You know a month ago. And so it actually coming together and take, you know, being what we said was is very surprising because, oh, I don't know, that's not what I was expecting. I was expecting somebody to shell out money at this point. But, I mean, they're saying J.D. Martinez might hold out till the, the start of the offseason, and I was looking at his numbers, man. He's he's good. Yeah, but of course it, he's and really a, good. I mean, the... and, and teams are offering five-year five deals, presumably up over $100 million. That – that sounds like a good J.D. Martinez deal to me. He's a uh, DH. Dude, dude is awful in the outfield. And I just, I see, I, I'm like, that looks like a good deal. And he's out here holding out for 200 million seven years. Like, I mean, well, he just, I mean, you know, this last season he just hit like prime Albert Pujols. So I mean, like he's, so he's holding out to be paid based on his bat. And you know, the th- there are there's a confluence of factors here. One, you know. The the CBA, right? The CBA with, with the luxury tax threshold and the penalties for exceeding it any given number of years have intensified to the point where it creates an almost salary cap-like effect of teams not wanting to do that, not wanting to incur the heavier penalties. So you've seen teams that are traditionally big spenders like the Dodgers, like the Yankees, like the Red Sox, uh, 
Not that these teams aren't going to spend some money, but I mean, the Cubs have spent the most money on free agents this offseason at $82 million. The Rockies, like, I think, have spent more. Have they? I may be wrong about that. They have five. They have like five signings, and they also put down Wade Davis for seventeen million a year. So that's positive. Sure possible. The Rockies then. have more, but, but still, like that going yeah. into the right. Going into the Cubs, they've spent money, and they have money to spend. They are not one of these teams that are pushing up against tax. That's you know, like you said, Dodgers, it's the Giants, it's the Yankees, Red Sox. They're pushing up against luxury decks. They have to make a decision. Do we want to burn through the tax this year? You know, I think the Dodgers burned through it last year, um, and they want to take it, get underneath it this year. So they're not even in. They, I mean, they cleared salary. They they, they traded Scott Casimir and a few other people for uh, Matt Kemp, and then they they've got they've got some. Stuff, but it's a yeah. No, I mean, no, I mean, I think that uh, the Cubs were one of the teams that had a lot more room to play with underneath the luxury tax, and because they hadn't exceeded it prior, they wouldn't. They're not facing like the harsher penalties. The Dodgers, it would be like four years in a row for them. At which point, like the penalties get really bad. You start losing draft picks. You start losing money. You st- I mean, it gets bad. Um, and so they're trying not to do that. And I mean, you know, understandably that they're a team that's mostly set anyways. Uh, a lot of the best teams at this point, the Cubs, the Dodgers, the Indians, the Red Sox, the Yankees, could... Lot, the Astros could all quit now and be really good teams, mm-hmm. but it, but you know, one of the major features of those top tier teams is trying to separate themselves from the rest of the pack as much as possible, and the Astros are trying to get one more pitcher, the Yankees are trying to get one more pitcher, the Cubs really need one more starting pitcher, um, the Red Sox want a big bat. The Cardinals want a closer, I guess. Um, that that was them, and they want another pitcher, even though they've already signed Miles Mikolas and um, well, they're going to get Alex Reyes back, so that's essentially a an acquisition. But yeah, they signed Miles Mikolas. And uh, um, the Giants, who knows what they're planning on? Uh, I really don't, but. I, They've been in on outfielders. They were trying to trade for Billy Hamilton. They were one of the teams that had offered J.D. Martinez five years. Um, There was a couple other ones. I think they were in on Jay Bruce with a cheaper contract, and Jay Bruce just signed. So it's not that players aren't signing. Players are signing, but it seems like the teams have – a flurry of things have happened in the last couple of years. The CBA added in this luxury tax penalty – which it hamstrings the teams like the Yankees, Dodgers, Red Sox, Cubs from spending without abandon, from just lapping up all the big players. As much as that 
could help competitive balance, not all these other teams are competitive and willing to throw in big contracts for 30-year-old players. So when you hamstring the teams who will spend, and then the teams who won't, already won't spend aren't incentivized to spend because these players are 30 plus and just having a big contract is throwing money in the toilet for them when they're not competitive. throw in seven-year deals for these players. That's what I'm Well, and I mean, moreover, you know, just baseball has, we've talked about this, it's trended younger and younger because, uh, you know, smartly in the modern era of baseball, most clubs have figured out that veteran performance tends to be um, in decline, you know, and you don't want to pay for somebody's decline as much as you'd like to pay, for, you know, which is why we've seen move, the biggest names out there are the guys who have some youth left in free agency. I mean, that's why next year, you know, Machado and Harper is going to be a spending spree, a bonanza, because those guys are both going to be young. Like, they're still going to have youth left, those guys, and so that's going to be teams falling over themselves to get those guys and uh i mean that's another thing too is some teams looking to next off season it's a mm-hmm. very it's a very deep group of free agents and a very strong one there's a lot of really good starting pitching next off season a lot of good starting pitching uh and i i, I do want to make this specification the gr- good amount of starting pitching it's not that it's better I think Jake Arrieta and you Darvish are better than every pitcher. Well, I mean, you know, the besides top... Kershaw, but they but, have I mean, the they... youth factor. Corbin is like twenty-seven or twenty-eight. Pomeranz is twenty-seven or twenty-eight. I mean, they uh, also Garrett Richards. But I mean, there's a they... lot of youth. But I mean, even if you're just talking the top two pitchers in that market, Kershaw and Keuchel, I mean, that's better than what yeah. that that's ostensibly better than. Uh, where the position that you and Jake are at entering this market. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Cobb is arguably the third best starting pitcher on this market, which is not a, you know, like I said, it's not a super deep group. There's plenty of, like, third-tier kind of guys, but there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of, like, tier one-and-a-half guys in next year's starting pitching market. And... It's going to be a strong market. Now, that's not, that's definitely not, you know, and that's definitely not all it is. I, I think, like we said, the CBA, it's next year's market. And I'd like to propose that maybe it has something to do with the second wild card. Mm-hmm. So, um, here's the thing about the wild card play in game, right? It devalues the wild card itself. Now, th- this. This was an inse- this was a perverse incentive that I think a lot of us missed when it was added, uh, 
we got caught up in the arguments about whether it would be more exciting or less exciting, about whether it diluted the playoff field or not. I think what we missed is that uh, that it you know that it disincentivizes certain teams to add more to their roster through free agent dollars. You know because like say you know that if you're the fourth best team in your league that you'll have to play a one game play in to try and get to the playoff to the playoffs proper then how willing are you going to be to pay say a starting pitcher 25 million a year for 6 years to make that happen and we know the twins are in on you darvish but they're holding a hard line on money and years, and they should because, to be honest, I mean, that could really hurt them. You know, I mean, this is a thing where you're not guaranteed to be in the playoffs. And a lot of teams are looking at it as, if we can't get within striking range of the division, there's no guarantee we'll get to play a playoff series. Like, we could be good enough to do that you know like we've seen there's great disparities uh between the division leader like in projections there's big time disparities between a lot of the division leaders and the second best teams in those divisions right now there's only two divisions in baseball right now projected to be moderately close and that's the nl central and the al east and in every other division, the second-place team is so far back of the presumed leading team that it'd be difficult for those teams to reach a point where they could compete for the division. So you're in a spot where those teams know they're probably not division competitors, know they might only know that they might even have kind of a poor shot at the wild card, but even so, the value of increasing from, say, 86 to 88 wins is less, I, I think it's less important now than it's been. Because you know that you only have so much chance of getting a wild card spot, and then you only have so much chance of making it out of the wild card game, and then you only have so much chance of getting into a playoff, you know, and of playing a playoff series because of that uh you know we've talked about You're how right. like, the difference between 88 and 90 wins is big because a lot of times that'll be the difference between a wild card and a division title but the difference between like 86 and 88 right now is diminished it's devalued we one thing I say, you're right across the board here is that 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 two team game single game, whereas a home home and neutral three game set might incentivize more teams to get in there because if they believe their team is better, you know they'll have three games with which to win it versus one. Um, and I, you're right, but that coupled with the record number of teams tanking. Think about how many teams are trying to rebuild their roster who are, you know, trading away players. You've got the Mets, the Marlins, the Braves, the 
the the Reds, the Pirates are now trying to trade people away. You've got, you know, the Giants have traded people away. You've got the Padres are always tanking. You've well, I mean, yeah, the, and I mean, there's there's maybe 15 teams that are tanking. They're trying to lose. And I mean, Meg, and you know, it gets back to a point. Meg Rowley, the new editor over at the Hardball Times, she made this point back in 2015 that there's Group think. There's sort of like group think now in the GMs of Major League Baseball and the GMs and presidents of baseball operations throughout Major League Baseball that we've kind of... She was making this point three years ago that we were sort of reaching the tipping point of, you know, kind of every organization being run by somebody relatively young, uh, who yeah, relatively young white dudes who went to prestigious universities who are, like, deep into the analytics side of the game. Nobody's complaining baseball is smarter now than it was, but we're reaching a we're reaching critical mass here where when all the teams are thinking the exact same way and are going about things in very, very similar fashion, it leaves little room for things to be done differently. You know, I think that there is an argument to be made that there are different ways of viewing baseball, not necessarily like old school or traditional ways. I'm saying just different ways within the framework of what baseball is of viewing it and going about day-to-day operations of a franchise. And I think what you have right now is baseball lacks diversity in its front offices and not just diversity from an identification standpoint, from like a race, gender perspective, but also it lacks diversity kind of in like diversity of thought. Mm-hmm. So you Everybody have those... wants to tank. Everybody wants to tank and end up with a super team like the Cubs have done, like the Astros have done. You right. Know, they and they want to... And I think I may have... Draft Young. And I think I may have even made that point on this podcast before that like I'm not as big a fan of what the Braves and Brewers have done because I just don't know how well it's going to work. Because, you see, that only works under a certain set of circumstances. One, you have to be really good at it. Two, you have to get kind of lucky. You have to pluck some guys out of nowhere, oftentimes. You have to, you know, the Cubs did their due diligence and their scouting and their homework on Jake Arrieta, for instance. But... I think when they acquired him, they believed he was going to become a middle rotation starter, and that would have been excellent. We all would have, we right. all would have sounded the trumpets on that, and we all would have been very, very pleased if he had become a really good, like number three, long term. Instead, from roughly uh, May 2014 all the way through. Uh, 2016, he was one of the best pitchers in baseball. I mean, he that three-year span was nearly unmatched outside of, like, Clayton Kershaw for that time span. I mean, Jake Arrieta was excellent. And he had a little rougher 2017, but he was still a useful starting pitcher. And he's still a good starting right. pitcher. You know, it's like, right. 
I'm not saying that that was a bad move. That was a good move, but I'm saying you do at some point have to get production of that level from guys you're maybe not expecting. Like, we were expecting that he could maybe reach the level of a good number three starter, and then he won a Cy Young. Had one of the best halves of a season in the history of baseball. You know, I mean, that was not something that we saw coming. It's probably not something our front office saw coming. You know, and the thing for me is that it can only work so often. You know, it worked in the case of the Cubs because you had a front office built specifically for that purpose with ownership that wasn't going to meddle in the proceedings. Mm-hmm. Plus, the Cubs it's have money. The Cubs have money to complete that job. When the Cubs mm-hmm. wanted John Lester, they could go get John Lester. The Cubs can go and spend a bunch of money on Jason Hayward, and while it hasn't worked out, we can't exactly shrug off the cost, but spending that for it to not work out is not prohibitive to us the way it would be a team like the Twins. You know, if the Twins go and spend money on you Darvish and he doesn't work out, they are stuck with him. They can't make other big-time moves. Like, that is their move. Mm-hmm. You know, so, like, when a team like the Cubs does that, they have the money to go out there and do that. Astros, kind of the same thing. The Astros have money. They play in a big market. They can do that. You know, and they had, you know, the Cubs and Astros both had a historic run of prospects reach the majors. I mean, like, yeah, pretty much on parallel. Yeah, no, I was going to say, you have to hit on a superstar. I think I think that's the difference between the Brewers. The Brewers have had their trade success, right? They had um, they had Travis Shaw for Tyler Thornburg. Well, Thornburg didn't even pitch for the Red Sox last year. Travis Shaw was an MVP candidate if the Brewers make the playoffs. Like, they've had their guys – you know, step up. Domingo Santana was great last year. Eric Thames was good last year. They've had stuff work out. Jimmy Nelson and Zach Davies have both blossomed into really good pitchers. And now Jimmy Nelson's out because pitchers were base running, and that's a whole other story. But the Brewers, they've got that, but they have not hit on a superstar. They've got all these these prospects, right? Josh Hader reminds me of Chris Sale, the way he throws. Orlando Arcia looks like, you know, but maybe not. You know, Arcia's the guy who yeah. could be that guy, maybe. But like right. but here's the big difference the big difference is you know, the difference between like Carlos Correa and Arcia, or the difference between having like a Chris Bryant and whoever else you're gonna find. I mean the Cubs the Cubs took a strategy that we forget was forward-thinking at the time to start drafting college bats early because a lot of, you know, we were still kind of mired in a mindset that the projectability of high school players allows them to reach a higher ceiling. And the thing is, it's not necessarily always true. Chris Bryant had the highest ceiling probably of anybody in that draft, mm-hmm. and the but Cubs was, treated him as qu- such. 
but the, but he also had a huge floor. If that bat never develops, if he's just you know Joey Gallo striking out forty percent of the time, he's gonna have to be what Joey Gallo has been to be good. And there was no way to know that Chris Bryant was gonna turn into that. And, right, but I mean, but, like... but you have to take those risks. And I don't think the Braves and the Brewers and the Twins and some of these teams have taken those risks. Well, to I'm find more over that superstar. Although I think Ozzy Albies might be a superstar. I but, really but, like Ozzy Albies. But moreover, like, and we've saw we found out that the Braves were doing some pretty uh, unethical stuff in the building of their mm-hmm. franchise. I mean, the Cubs, for the most part, from what we know, it's been ethical. It's been built around uh, a very specific and unique system, and they had the people to pull it off. But the timing was right as well. The timing was right, and it was and it was even made hard, you know, and it was made harder by the fact that the CBA came out and changed the game at that point when Theo came in, uh-huh. and you could no longer go way over slot to grab guys in the draft. So it was harder already. But I mean, it's not going to work for everyone. You have to figure out a, you know, you have to figure out a different path. I was reading the other day about the idea of some people talking about would there be value in trying to figure out, trying to quantify if certain scouts are better than other scouts. And really, I don't know. But, like, it's an interesting thought, right? I don't know if that's possible, but, like, is it is there a way to quantify, like, who's able to scout better potential amateur players? I don't know, but the thing is, there aren't a lot of... Th- the thing is, what we see right now is we see that we've reached a point where baseball, I feel, has coalesced around a certain way of thinking about things. Mm-hmm. Uh which is right now the co-mingling of analytics and uh, scouting is good. Um, mm-hmm. we, want... we had uh, John. We had John from Cubs Den um, on on our podcast talking about scouts and analytics, and that I mean, that stuck with me for. I mean, it's been almost a year now, and uh, I know he's since gone on to the diamond in the sky, but. Uh, that was a that was an eye-opening thing, and that's kind of how the, all of baseball has gone: is that scouting plus the analytical side. But you can't forget you have to look at the player on top of looking at his numbers. Right, and uh, and I don't think anybody is, but I do think like there's it's coalesced around a way of thinking where um, more information is better, um, and I think what you're seeing is. And, and here's the thing, right? The, the the GM and president's pool for these clubs, it's it's all networking. It's a network of people, you know, like, I knew this guy and this guy knew this guy, but it's very insular. Mm-hmm. And it's closed off to people who are not in that in-group. You know, I mean, like, the old example is back when the Rays had Friedman, uh, that they had Silverman and Sternberg and Friedman who all knew each other from their experience together on Wall Street trading mm. stocks. You know, and like, 
That was different, though. That was different. But now you have guys all coming from kind of the same background. And these are all the same guys who get the baseball internships and wind up as assistant, special assistants to the GM and start yeah. doing that. The question is, are there people out there who come from a different background, who don't, who didn't go to Harvard, didn't go to Yale, didn't go to Stanford, didn't go to University of Chicago, didn't go to MIT, who might, in fact, have a different perspective on the game that might be equally valid and might be able to exploit some unseen advantages that could get franchises to where they want to be. You know, we don't, we have a lack of non-white GMs. We mm-hmm. don't have any women GMs. Baseball's never had a women GM. Uh, and pretty much across the board, all the teams are going really young with their GMs. It's understandable why they would do that. You probably don't want them to, you probably don't want someone who's old enough they're ready to retire you want someone who can provide a continuity for the organization but it's the fact that everybody's going in the same direction i think that leads to that you know i think you need to open it up to different perspectives whether that may be based on gender race socioeconomic status the colleges that people went to the things they studied in college the background they have with baseball whether Maybe they were, uh, they had a different start in baseball. They got started in baseball in a different way than we've seen over the last decade or 15 years with GMs, which is usually like they were an intern for some major league team and they rose up the ranks, rose up the ladder in each organization. I mean, who's to say what kind of diversity of thought could be out there? And I really think that that's a big part of what we're seeing this off season, is maybe just. And I guess we'll have to wait to see next off season to see, because I think a lot of money will be spent next off season. But I am wondering what'll happen to that second tier of players next off season, based on what we've seen here. You know, I am wondering what'll happen to your Drew Pomeranzes of the world. You know, like I am, I am considering it. Uh, right, and it's it's going to be interesting. I, you're right. There's there's the same group of thinking across the board right here. Um, and that, but it started with the but the funny thing is, it's to to bring it back to what the podcast is, you know, named after the Cubs. Yeah. To bring it back to it, this all started with the Cubs. The Cubs started this rebuild, and they hired Theo Epstein in 2012, and they started with this young GM who traded off the assets he tanked the team on purpose he drafted college bats he signed starting pitching traded for starting pitching he uh found a superstar in chris bryant he found a superstar in anthony rizzo and the team gelled together he made good trades like jake arietta like addison russell kyle uh, hendricks and kyle hendricks yeah. he made good signings like john lester and ben zobris at the time you know and it's Across the board, this is the model other teams are trying to take, and that just – it's its every team. And it, it doesn't make any – I don't like that, obviously. I think we'll begin to see some things 
uh, change starting next year. And then starting when that CBA changes again, is that 2020? Um, I think MLBPA will do away with the luxury tax. Like, there you go. We saw what happened in 2017. We don't want to do that again. Or they'll change it. They'll up the luxury tax where it's at 250 million. And that helps the players, but it still doesn't incentivize these big teams to spend all the money. You know, um, there's ways to get to do this better, I think, and we're not doing those. I, I don't now. You know, I I, I what? Well, yeah. I was gonna say. Well, now speaking speaking of spending money, we do need to talk about the R raises that some of our guys got, and some of these rumors. Yeah. So um, Chris Bryant, you know, we could start with him and say that ten point eight five million. Yep. New record for uh, new record for first year arbitration and he deserves it you know i mean he's earned this chris mm-hmm. bryan is a top five player in all of baseball a perennial mvp candidate type he was like a top five mvp candidate again this year he won the mvp uh in you know he won the mvp he's 2016 won a, 2016 <laughs> yeah yep. he's won an mvp already he was Rookie of the Year in 2015. You know, he became the first ever player to, in sequence, win the Golden Spikes College Player of the Year, Minor League Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year, and MVP. He did that four years in a row, became the first ever player to do that. He is an extraordinary player. His floor at this point seems to be 6 f war. His ceiling seems to be like nine. Yep. I mean, what we're basically talking about is like the <laughs> best third baseman in baseball. We're talking about the yep. best third baseman in baseball. And we're talking about a guy who right now is setting himself up as one of the best of his generation of players. So he deserves this money. Mm-hmm. He's and it's not it. a small... It's not a small amount of money. His name's going to be in that book until another superstar comes around like him. But and then the salaries will have increased again. But for a long for a while now, we'll have Chris Bryant as the top paid first year arbitration uh, getter, and that's that's pretty cool. And I think that that spent the Cubs spending that money is just indicative of you know kind of rewarding Chris Bryant for this this three years. Now it's not what his market value would be, but it's still a good bit of it's still a good bit of uh, money, and he's gonna be he's gonna be thrilled with that. I mean, uh, yeah, the other, he's well, he's gonna be well taken care of. So right. Um, the the next player, salary wise, down is Justin Wilson, who got what four point two five. Yeah, and he's, you know, and he's in his last year of arbitration, so this makes sense. Um, you know, he's, it didn't blow the lid off of arbitration, you know, like he, because he's not somebody who's had a lot of saves. Uh, you know, it's, the big number that they look at for relievers is saves in arbitration, which is flawed, admittedly. But by any metric, his second half of last season was a true disaster. Uh, he collapsed. Yep. Uh, he collapsed in advanced metrics. He collapsed in traditional metrics. He just was not himself. His command was all over the place. And we've both guessed that 
he'll be back to being normal Justin Wilson this season because it just didn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> um, I mean, he gets this... a full he gets a full off season. He gets a new pitching coach from the very beginning of the off season. I mean, the Cubs knocked down Jim Hickey, and you know Jim Hickey's one bit biggest you know target right now is probably Justin Wilson all off season. I mean, and they sit they um. They settled for arbitration, which means the Cubs were okay with paying Justin Wilson a little bit more money than perhaps they would have been uh, offering if they had not settled. You know, the Cubs figure probably would have yeah. been lower. So they're okay with giving Justin Wilson more money because they believe that, you know, they trade Isaac Paredes and Jeremy Condelario for him. They believe that this guy is going to be a big member of the bullpen, and I, I can't disagree, but it definitely will be – It'll be uh, he'll be nervous. I'll be nervous when he comes in for the first you know four or five times. But I think we'll see. But like if whether you see, or not he's back. If you see pre second half of 2017 Justin Wilson uh, to start the year, it changes the bullpen in ways that are hard to overstate. Because yeah. like if he were pitching like that, we wouldn't need another bullpen addition. We wouldn't. We'd have Strope, we'd have Edwards, we'd have Ciszek, we'd have Morrow, and we would have Wilson. And that would be a really damn good bullpen at that point. I, I think it's worth noting that the Cubs don't need another bullpen piece, even if Justin Wilson is between last year and previous. They don't need another bullpen piece. They don't need another starter. I think both of those and getting one of each is a luxury that the Cubs, with their current salary situation after these arbitration raises, can afford, um, and they can afford to take to put more money into the starter for you, Darvish, yeah. or Jake Arrieta. They can afford to put less money into the starter, maybe sign three or four guys, and, and you know, bring, it's in not, a, and, bring in Addison Reed or Greg Holland. It sounds like they're lots inter- of options. And, you know, it sounds like they're interested in Holland now, and it's because it feels like his market is collapsing. A big part of that seems like teams are not convinced he's fully over his old injuries. And they're worried that he may not be able to hold up. For Holland, yeah. I, 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 Greg Holland is one of those, like, the Cubs got connected to him this week that they're looking at him. I think that's fine on, like, a one-year deal. Um, but I don't think Greg Holland is going to be settling for a one-year deal, and I think that's where the hang-up will be. Uh, and I don't think he's he's not an elite closer. Next, and but again, I, I, think... compare it, I compare it to next offseason. Craig Kimbrell and Andrew Miller are both available next offseason. But I do think if you it's... wait, you got a guy. But so, I do think I do yeah. think it's possible that Holland winds up with like a two-year deal with a third-year vesting option or something. I don't think he's going to get what he wanted originally. You know, I don't think I think one no. team might crack and go like for a few years, but it doesn't seem likely he's going to get even three or four at this point. But but with the second half he had, would you give him that much that many years? Like, I don't think anybody trusts him. And I that, yeah, that, that, I think that's why we've of... I think that's why he's not signed right. yet. I think th- that's I think why that... the Rockies went and got Davis instead of Holland. I think that that's what yeah. it comes down to. Like, and Davis didn't even have a good second half. No, but he was hel- but he was healthy. Yes. He looked healthy. Like there's a good chance that any lingering effects of his 2016 injuries will be gone now. 
and the Rockies are banking on that. But the point is, he's fully healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, and Holland, may, Holland may or may not be. I mean, this is the open question with Greg Holland is what kind of pitcher is he actually at this point? Addison Reed in the past has been really good. There were mm-hmm. a few years there prior to 2017 where he was one of the best relievers in all of baseball. If he pitches at that level, then he'd be a bargain at the kind of contract he's likely to get. Mm-hmm. Here's and I, I'm a huge Addison Reed advocate, and that's this Addison Reed is pretty much the only reason. I think the Cubs could decide to go no, you know, you Darvish, maybe go Alex Cobb, or even drop into some of the names we've talked about previously on the the predictions podcast, like Chris Tillman. Uh, there's a couple more that are still out there. I know Chris Tillman's the one that comes to mind, but you've got all these unsigned free agents, and you've got these top names who are holding out because they want more years like the previous free agents when they are worse players than previous free agents and they're worse players than future free agents. And at some point they'll have to come to an agreement. I don't know where that agreement's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen, but the Cubs have to be waiting for that because if you Darvish accepts their deal, they don't need, they're not going to go after another bullpen piece because Mike Montgomery slots into the bullpen. If they go after a bullpen piece, let's say Tony Watson, they're probably banking on Mike Montgomery to start all year. Well, then, I mean, not necessarily. I mean, like, if you get Watson or right. someone, that's not going to cost you a lot of money. Right. That's not my... That, none I mean, of that is going to be saying, prohibitive for right. the for the course of grabbing another starting pitcher. But you could be setting up for it, where you could be going after maybe Chris Tillman and Tony Watson and calling it quits because, you know, you're going to sign Bryce Harper next year. And I think that like, and I think that anything the so, Cubs do in those tiers of free agency at this point will not prohibit them from getting a Cobb or a Darvish. The question will be. I, I think the I think the Cubs wind up with one of Cobb, Arietta, or Darvish. I do. I think I think but that's a fair assumption just, at this point. I just don't know which one of them it will be. I think that's where we're at. I think we're that's where everybody's yeah, at. I, but we didn't finish our. our our arbitration guys. Uh, it's, it's good that we actually got into the free agents, though. Um, Kyle Hendricks, right? Kyle Hendricks, next, got, yeah. Yeah. Four point one seven five million. Which you know is um, his first year. Unfortunately, starting pitching is des- is decided by ERA, wins and losses, strikeouts. Strikeouts is a number that he's, he's got not, one of those. <laughs> you know, strikeouts he's not terrible at. He's not one of these guys who strikes out like 15% of hitters seen. He always strikes out over 20% of the hitters he sees. Yep. But it's not an exceptional number. It's just fine. You know, it's a fine number, and it's not based on K percentage. It's based on pure, raw strikeout numbers. So that's never going to favor a guy like Kyle Hendricks, who does what he does on deception, on finesse, uh Control. On, yeah, and mm-hmm. and his and his wipeout pitch is not a fastball. It's a changeup. It's one of baseball's yeah. best changeups. But that is usually and, not gonna that's usually not gonna help you in arbitration. And his, his changeup 
it, these light ground balls that it, he can initiate with this changeup, these infield fly balls that he can initiate with this changeup, they and he he can do it. That's the thing is, and it's one of those things. I think I've preached it on the podcast three or four times. Every time we talk about Kyle Hendricks, is that the way he goes about creating soft contact is sustainable, and his FIP is never going to show that. It's always going to be a run higher than his ERA because. The calculations they use are how many pitchers do you strike out? How many pit players do you walk? They're not going in thinking about, well, how many infield fly balls are you creating? Where that's an out 98% of the time. How many soft to hit ground balls are you creating? What's your soft hit percentage? Because Kyle Hendricks has led the league or he's top five in the league every year in that he's so good at this. And you, you gotta think he's, he's the one who's developed his ability to do this. He's a smart guy. He comes from the Ivy League. I gotta believe it that he's he's the one. Do, he knows that this is how he can have success in the major leagues, and I, I bet on Kyle Hendricks every time. Yeah, he's a great. I, mean, I started doing this. I started doing this when he came up in 2014, and he was looking really good. People are going, well, he's not striking out that many people. I was like, yeah, but his he's not he's not getting any like home runs, hard contact. He always looks good every time out. You know, they were very, pulling him in the fifth inning. People, he, like, I don't trust him. He's very possibly a top ten starting pitcher in baseball right now, and I wouldn't well, be, and I probably wouldn't get past, and I definitely probably wouldn't get past the top fifteen in baseball without including him right now. Now that's, uh, that might I be mean, generous. You could, you could maybe, okay. maybe get to there. But if you're talking like the consistency of guys with their track records at this point, he'd be in the conversation. Um. And, yeah, so, I mean, this is fine in arbitration for him. Arbitration's an outdated system, but this is fine. Uh, it's fine. Uh, so we have one more. I think No, we have two more. But these will be, I think, less discussion-based. Uh, Addison Russell got $3.2 million, which was almost a million dollars over his projections. Yeah, so, I mean. Um, I they're paying Addison Russell. So, I mean, outside of last season, and he was still productive last season as a player, but he mm -hmm. wasn't as productive as he had been prior to last season. I mean, his 2015-2016 were a really, really great debut for him. Addison Russell, if he's roughly a league average hitter, is a really good player. He's an all-star. You know, so, but he didn't hit up to that level this past season. But even so, I think what the Cubs are recognizing is the guy they believe him to be, mm -hmm. not the guy he was in 2017. So, And it's, you know, I I, I listen to um, the Cubs-related podcast, and Brendan, Brendan Miller is a massive Addison Russell fan, um, and he raves about him all the time. And, you know, I, I agree with him. You know, the, the potential is there, but the potential is there in Jorge Soler, too, and we never saw that. Thing, uh, is, thing, not is, always the, thing is, thing is, thing is, we've already seen Addison Russell put up two, three plus F four seasons. We already saw him do oh, that. I know. We already saw him but do that. Are, so those are heavy defense based, and I think this raise is perfect. I have no problem with this raise. This raise is it doesn't hurt the Cubs in the long run, and it probably helps. Maybe Addison Russell. He gets a little better and agrees to an extension because, you know, he's been injury prone and he wants to lock it up. Uh, might be one of those guys, but 
you know, I, Addison, as much as Addison Russell has been possibly great, uh, he's always kind of left a hole in what I thought he could be. Uh, the shorts, he's a great shortstop. I think that the Cubs are lucky to have him as a player and the swing is good. But at some point, we need to see more than, you know, his 90 but, you know, what, what is this going to be? Like his age 23 season? Like 24. 24. Yeah, so, last, year, last year was his age 23 season, I think. Okay, so I th- – I'm gonna be I'm gonna be I'm gonna be writing about this for Wrigley Report. I'm gonna be writing about the nature of ceilings. I'm not gonna give away too much of what my what the crux of my argument is gonna be here, but the basic idea here is I don't think I I mean obviously Addison Russell has not hit his ceiling and I think there's a good chance he still can. I want to throw in there that I don't think Javi Baez has hit his ceiling either. Well, and I think there's a really good chance he still can. Um, so just tossing that one in. I think the interesting uh, thing about the Cubs going forward is the number of players they have who haven't hit their ceilings, who very well can, for whom this could be a very, very big year. I think that's the X factor in prediction and trying to project the Cubs this year is – trying to figure out how high towards the ceiling Schwarber can get, Russell mm-hmm. can get, Baez can get, like Almora. Hayward. Almora, Hayward, Hap. Yeah, they're I all – they all were under what I think – well, Hap was maybe – he maybe boosted his – he raised his ceiling. Um, but – Yeah, I think yeah, Almora's uh, not there. Hayward's not – it's amazing because I think Chris Bryant has shown us what his ceiling is. Uh, I think he did I that think in 2016. The thing is, he got better last year at the plate. <laughs> he was a little bit worse at defense. I but he got better and, at the plate last but, year. So like yeah, there's he was, he was marginally better, and at it the, was at the sacrifice of some power. At the at the one thing that's most in your control as a player, like defense, we still don't have perfect data on. Right. Offense. He improved. He struck yeah, out less. He made better. He made more contact. He made good contact. Um, yeah. So. It, he and what and one thing uh, when when back when we were talking about uh, drafting a superstar with a ceiling and a floor, right? Chris Bryant's floor was really low because he struck out a lot. And he, over his time in the major leagues, he's almost cut his strikeout rate in half. That is insane. <laughs> I mean, his walk rate and strikeout rate are his, con- are converging on each other very rapidly. Yeah, it's and it's one of those Rizzo. Rizzo used to have this problem, right? Rizzo's first year in the bigs, he struck out like forty percent of the time. Javi used to strike out forty percent of the time. Now he's down to twenty four percent. These guys are Rizzo, so talented that they can figure out how to. I mean, Rizzo. Yeah, Rizzo walks. Rizzo doesn't strike out. out at all. I mean, he he's yeah. He is he he is the. Next wave, Joey Votto. He is modeled on that. He is modeled on that. And, um, yeah. So the other arbitration guy is Justin Grimm. Okay, Rizzo, when Rizzo came up in 2011, so, he had a 30% strikeout rate, 
the last time his strikeout rate was – he's had a strikeout rate higher than his walk rate every year until last year. It was his highest walk rate of his career, lowest strikeout rate of his career, and he walked more than he struck out. And then he did that without sacrificing OBP. His OBP was better. Uh, sacrificed a little bit of power, but – not much. Yeah, I guess in double in doubles is about forty points of slugging, uh, ten points of WRC plus. He's still a four win great elite player, but I mean it's amazing. He has had thirty two home runs or thirty one home runs every year since twenty fourteen. He's, he's never really... been able to get above it, and he's never been lower. <laughs> All while hitting, so, boy, he hits both righties and lefties. He's very he's very so well. Good. I think we forget how good he is because of all these other interesting players. Rizzo has been a a rock uh, of consistency. Well, so you know, final final guy, uh, Grim. We've got two more guys. We settled with one more guy, and that was Tommy Lastella. Uh, I like that. Tom, I like Tommy Lastella off the bench next year. I think he's going to be really productive. I mean, in, in a bench role, he, he's the consummate, very good bench infielder uh he plays two positions neither of them does he play particularly well but uh mm-hmm. but he hits and he he rakes against right-handed pitching he's good against particularly difficult right-handed pitchers uh yeah. that's a pro level hitter i mean that is he... his, his bat is the calling card He'd be started. There'd be a lot of teams in Major League Baseball right now for whom he'd be the starting second baseman because he can hit. Um, the Cubs yeah. have a luxury have the luxury of being able to use him off the bench because we have Javier Baez, because we have Ben Zobrist, because we have Addison Russell. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Tommy Lastella, nine hundred fifty thousand. I mean. You can't get much better than a bench player who can put up a 390 OBP in two what 200 300 plate With appearances, appearances something yeah. like that last year. Uh, I gotta I gotta check it, but he. But for that money, was, I mean. Well, he's been so good. He so Lasella had 150 plate appearances last year, but even in the playoffs, he looked good. He walked more than he struck out. Had a 126 WRC plus, which if I remember correctly, it's the third highest WRC plus in the Cubs. Uh, no, okay, just kidding. No, it is. The third highest. Third highest. I think, it, think, it, think, it just, think it just edged out. Tommy. I think it just edged out Contreras. Yeah, by five points. But, yeah, so third highest WRC plus on the Cubs, not counting Reed Rivera, who signed with the Angels. Good luck to him. We liked him as a backup option. Um, That's fine. He's yeah, it's like, sh- no, it's not like, Otani. it would have been fun to have him back, but it's not like a big loss. But it's a it's a great addition for the Angels, who now have uh, a really good backup catcher who will serve Shohei Otani well, will will help them out in their bid and attempt to grab a wild card spot. So good luck to him. Mm-hmm. He may very well be back in the playoffs again this season. I think the Angels have a good shot at a wild card spot. So good good times, but. Yep, and the final guy, you know, I said Justin Grimm. You know, we haven't settled with him yep. yet, but I think all projections and all, all of that probably has him coming in around four million or so too. Uh, 
Hang on, I got, uh, I got the numbers. I got the numbers. Uh, it is Grim Files at 2.475 million, Cubs at 2.2 million. So they're about two, $275,000 off. And I mean, I could see them settling around 2.4. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, that'd be fine. Cubs, I mean, the Cubs don't go to arbitration. We don't know that's, if Grim will, we don't know how, if Grim will be any good this year, but I mean, like, he was rough a lot last year, but there was still life in his arm. And, uh, at that at that rate, I mean, it's worth seeing if he can put together some good innings. I mean, that's not much money at all. Here's what I want is I want to get Justin Grimm in front of uh, Jim Hickey because in 2014 and 2015, he was really good. Uh, and even in 2016, he was solid. Uh, he had some home run issues. But last year, it just exploded on him. I mean, he had a 22% home run per fly ball. Uh, he walked less, he struck out less, but he's been an over 10 strikeouts per nine kind of, kind of relief pitcher for the Cubs in two of the last three years. You know, you don't want to just throw him in the trash can. Uh, he's got some potential and maybe Jim Hickey can unlock that, but you know, I have no problems with paying Grimm and he can be cut in spring training if he's terrible again. And that's fine. Uh, and you know, you can work with Dylan Maples and there's some other guys. Dario Alvarez is one that I've heard a lot. Um, that can take up that that bullpen spot that Grimm would fill, where you kind of bounce between Iowa and uh, Chicago. Yeah. So, how about one last final closing uh, rumor that was around today? The Cubs were confirmed to be the third team in on Garrett Cole. Uh, the, originally, the Yankees were the first team on Garrett Cole. Astros. And the rumor was that the Yankees would not part with Glaber Torres. They wanted to part with, I think, Clint Frazier for Garrett Cole and the Astros, didn't, or the Pirates didn't want to do that, so then they moved to the Astros. Who don't want to give up. Astros, uh... Who don't want to give Forrest Whitley and Kyle Tucker, uh, or Derek Fisher. So three pretty solid players uh, that the Pirates could get that, that the Astros have said no to. So apparently John Heyman said the Cubs were the third team. In and they had. They, there's been a little rumbling of a mystery team since the trade yeah, fell I mean, through. And there's no reason to doubt that the interest is legitimate, because we're not right. trying to raise the price on a division rival or anything like that. The Astros and Yankees are over in the American League. This is the Cubs legitimately looking at all options and being interested in Garrett Cole at the right price. I think yep. all things being equal. You'd still prefer Cobb or Darvish uh, because it won't I, co- it won't cost you anybody off the major league roster. I man, Garrett Cole. I dream on Garrett Cole's upside. I he throws sure. ninety nine miles an hour. And but are you? When he's good. He is great. Are you willing to give up Addison Russell for Garrett Cole's upside? You know that's the question, right? I I might be. I'm I'm low on Addison. I'm lower on Addison Russell than most people. Uh, I think I'd be more willing to give up Ian Happ, and therein probably lies the issue: is that if the if the Pirates are looking for a shortstop, my thing is Ian Happ can play second base, and it frees up Josh Freeman for or Josh Harrison for him to trade. I, they're not getting anything for Jordy Mercer, so you know I, I think it's a better and you can stack on some intriguing prospects like uh, Jose Albertos or. Uh, you know, Ian Rice or some of these guys, they're interesting. They're not highly ranked. I think of like Brian Hudson. Um, but I, I, know, I he's, a I he's a long-term guy. 
I just don't see it happening because I think the Astro, one of the Astros or Yankees, is going to get this done. They may it may drag on for a while, but and also like it's hard for me to envision the Pirates trading him within the division. Like it's hard for me to see that being a thing. I mean, yeah. we like we know that they were so opposed to trading the Cubs Juan Nicasio last season mm-hmm. that they basically wound up letting him go for free. Juan Nicasio is signed with the Mariners, I believe, so that's not an option in the in the bullpen. I, and I, I thought it and, was and for a while, but I'm still mad at the Pirates about that one because yeah, we would have had <laughs> that would have been a big upgrade to our bullpen down the stretch, and we wanted him, and we were the team apparently that was most in on him, and I forget that happened. That happened. Yeah, I but I, it I did happen. Know. It did happen. We wanted Juan Nicasio, and. and, and Another, another thing, thing that I think comes back, back, back all in all here, 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 um, a couple years ago, Kyle Schwarber took him to the Allegheny, yeah. uh, which was fantastic. But Garrett Cole did say later on uh, in 2016, he thought, oh, the Cubs aren't the Cubs aren't the best team in baseball is what he said. And, uh, you know, that's kind of that's that's putting him on the spot. And I I'm not going to hold that against him. I think Garrett Cole would absolutely be thrilled to end up on the Cubs. You know, he's but, the when you're a division rival with another team, you're supposed to smack talk them yeah uh didn't work out so well for him we won 103 games and the world series um that year so (laughs) people forget that yeah so didn't really we've been to three straight nlcs's so it hasn't worked out well for him but if he became a cub we would obviously welcome him i think he'd be Mm -hmm. a big time addition I'd love to have him here, but I just don't see that happening. Until you just free agency. But I think it's totally reasonable. I don't want anybody to start jumping to conclusions about what the Cubs are going to give up. I think it's totally reasonable for the Cubs to be involved in that discussion. Me too. I I think it's they're going. We're going to hear the Cubs connected back to Chris Archer. We're going to hear them connected to Stroman, Danny Salazar, some of the Danny Duffy. Uh, Garrett Cole, because until the free agents begin to fall, which until that happens and the Cubs guarantee they do or do not get a free agent, uh, they'll have to make maybe up their efforts in getting one of these trades through. So, and it's worth and it's worth seeing if you can get the right trade for a price that you're willing to accept. And I think I think Ian Happ. Ian Happ is the kind of player that I think the Pirates would be interested in. I think the Marlins would be interested in Ian Happ because he's cheap, under control for four, five, five or six years. Um, you know, the Pirates are interested in cheap, controllable players who play lots of positions. You know, he doesn't have to go to the outfield for them, and their outfield is pretty crowded. 
the Pirates solid players, so I mean, they don't uh, need outfielders. The Pirates, especially right now, they're looking for guys pretty close to the majors. I mean, that's been what we've been hearing all along. This is why they want Torres. This is why they want Forrest Whitley, Kyle Tucker, Derek Fisher, is guys who they believe can contribute sooner rather than later. They don't want this to be a long rebuild. Because I don't think it necessarily needs to be in their case. But they want to trade away some guys who are on the last year or two of their time with the Pirates to get near Major League ready guys who can be there for a while. And that's why they're asking for Glaber Torres, you know. He seems to be close to Major League ready, and the Yankees are, we don't know if we want to give him up. Which is reasonable because the Yankees probably want him to be their opening day third baseman. You know, Mm -hmm. like, I mean, the Yankees probably envision him being the third baseman in the opening day lineup. I mean, I would. And they're they're trying to... Yeah, you're right. And they have... But my thing is, they're trying to move outfielders to the Pirates. The Pirates' last need is outfielders. They have a top prospect in uh, Austin Austin Meadows, I think, sitting in AAA, waiting, you know? And they've got Andrew McCutcheon, who they've been working in trade deals. It's another one for the Giants from earlier, but... I just I don't see the Yankees making it making a a deal for him, especially with Glaber Torres. And I'm the Pirates. I'm definitely holding my foot down for Glaber Torres out of the Yankees system. So there's nothing else that really makes you makes you jump out of your seat. You know, I, I, mean, don't you know, Glaber, I don't even think Glaber Torres is that good. I'm I'm very down. I, I mean, they I really like Miguel on Duhar, but you know the Pirates have every reason not to accept that. Um, Estevan Flory will get some looks, but again, he's an outfielder. And then I look at the, the the Astros. They have a bunch of young outfielders to offer, and they've got a full outfield that of good hitters. But once again, it's just not that. That's what separates the Cubs is that they can offer a guy who can play second base. Um, and if if that's the, I, that's the case, and if if they don't if they don't require Addison Russell or Javi Baez, I kind of feel like they would. If they don't require Addison Russell or Javi Baez, I think Ian Happ could get the deal done. But again, low probability of that. I'm well, not like saying... there's a world in which, like, if they wanted Happ or even Almora, I would definitely consider this mm-hmm. deal because uh, you could then pivot to a guy like a Lorenzo Kane for like two or three years. Uh, you could always go after my favorite guy, Carlos Gonzalez. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like. I'm... But they're, you know, the Cubs are making plans, but I mean, they, there's always ways to go about this, but I just, I don't see the Pirates trading him within the division. And Me I think it's Cobb, Darvish, or Arietta. I think it's going to be one of those three. I think, I think Cobb and Darvish are like equally likely right now. And then I think Arietta's less likely than the other two. Mm-hmm. If I had to say, I think like Cobb and Darvish are like, we know so little about what's going on with either of them in their free agency right now. But like, I think the Cubs are in deeply on both of them. And I think it's like equally likely they could wind up with the Cubs and there's really no way to know at this point. Like, I just, I don't, 
we don't know, and we're probably not going to know for a while yet. So everybody, buckle up! But you know, buckle up. It's that we're 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 far from done. Yeah, with the off season. So we didn't even we even talk about Lorenzo Cain. Bruce Levine seems to think the Cubs are absolutely in on Lorenzo Cain, and I just unless a trade gets made where Albert Amora gets moved, I don't see Lorenzo Cain happening. I just I don't know that he can do that much more than Albert Almora can for way less money. I think they're continuing to stay involved in case the price drops, price and years drops to a level that they would like to have him. Or like you said, they get a deal and offer where if they include Almora, they get something far greater than they had expected to receive. But otherwise... To me, it's if Albert Almora is the difference between them getting Garrett Cole and them not getting Garrett Cole, or them getting Chris Marcus Stroman, Chris Stroman. Archer, yeah, then I'm all for it and sign sign Lorenzo Cain and go for it in 2018. In yeah, 2019. like, yeah, I mean, you'll, you'll worry about worry about next off season, next off season, and that's a, a thing I saw yesterday was oh the Cubs are worried about next off season with Bryce Harper they want to save. I'm like, well, don't no, I push mean, it over the luxury tax, but you should not be worried about Bryce Harper, who may or may not even sign with you. You can't I mean, sacrifice I don't, I 2018. Not, I really do not think that that's the major calculus here. I think the right. Cubs would like Bryce Harper, but I think that if they need to clear that money, they'll clear that money at some point. But I think that what they're worried about is right now. I think that they are, and I think that they're slow playing this with these pitchers like every team is because you don't have to bid against yourself. There's no reason to. And uh, if the Cubs get the sense that they can jump on one of these guys and get them for the right price and right years by moving the needle up just a little bit, they will. But I don't see them rushing into it. And we've seen none none of these teams are rushing into it. So the Cubs have no reason to either. This is what the market is right now, so get used to it. Be patient. Stuff's going to happen. Probably tomorrow. Honestly, I set tomorrow being Saturday. Today's Friday. It's the day the arbitration raises came out. Now that teams know where they're standing with sal- within salary... They can make moves, you know, upping the, upping the the uh, contract ish or offers and um, evaluate from there. And I think some stuff can happen maybe as soon as Sunday, Saturday or Sunday. It's it's going to be interesting. We'll, we'll have to see. I think as it gets closer, we'll we'll have a flurry of moves and it'll it'll be what we've been waiting for. Yeah, that's what we hope for. So everyone, stay right. tu- stay tuned to the to the frigid stove uh if you're in one of the snowy areas like we are stay safe out there stay warm yep uh follow us on twitter at dg bloomberg that's david and i'm at dwest nine cubs uh we'll probably be tweeting about the stove if it ever warms up so if you need somewhere to Someone to talk to? Well, we're there. We're there. And also, at Seeing Cubby Blues is the podcast. Um, let's let's go. Yeah. 
Freaking, ready. I'm ready. I'm ready, ready for, for need, ready for the stove to thaw. Ready for I'm it ready to for get baseball. warm. Ready to warm it up. Heat up the oven. Yeah. Mixing metaphors. All right. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Have bye-bye. fun. Bye. Ah, bye. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>